Hello and welcome to Blue Royalty, a London is Blue podcast dedicated to the Chelsea women's team. I'm your host, Jess Park Humphreys, joined today, as always, by Abdullah Abdullah. We're going to bring you something a little bit different uh, today. We are going to take a bit of a wider look at what's been going on in women's football, look at some of the stories which either have Chelsea involved in them or have Chelsea... In, like Chelsea kind of impacted by them just to as we go through the summer make sure we're keeping on on top of everything that's happening because uh, at the moment it feels like news stories every day um, we've picked out three kind of topics here and we aren't even like touching on any international stuff so <laughs> it's uh it's insane I mean when the transfer window kicks in when the summer kicks in even without a major tournament on the horizon things things flare up but I feel like We've just finished the season and already we have about a gazillion stories out there. And like you said, we picked three, some really weird, some not so weird, but still fun to talk about either way. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna kick off by talking a little bit about uh, Hannah Hampton because I know I think we've referenced it a touch in some of our other episodes, but we've not really talked about all of the backgrounds to the interest there and whether that's happening and what we kind of think about that so so we'll have a look at that one um we'll have a talk about Chelsea's interest in some of the younger players we've been linked to two players we've been linked to this week Kiribari and Brooke Aspin um so I think Emma Hayes realized her senior squad was full and was like what kids can I buy she really is bored and then finally we'll finish off and we'll talk about Alessia Russo and Onabatia leaving Man United um, and a little chat about how that might affect things in the the title race next season. Um, so let's kick off with, with Hannah Hampton to to Chelsea. Um, I'm sure almost everyone will have seen this story on Twitter already because it's been kind of going on for about a week now. Um, Hannah Hampton left Villa. She turned down a new contract. Um, her contract expired. So, you know, she left the club and... There was interest, I think, from a number of clubs in England, some clubs in Spain as well. Hampton obviously grew up in Spain, speaks fluent Spanish. Um, but it seems like Chelsea are the team who are going to plump for her, who are going to get her to sign. Um, and there's a couple of interesting aspects to this. What, I think the main one, um, and the kind of fascinating one here, is that she is happy with, um, or even keen, to go on loan next season. Um, but Abdullah, I think on the face of it, the reason why this story feels so strange is we already have four goalkeepers under contract for next season. Anne Katrin Berger, Zatira Musevic, uh, Nikki Everard is coming in and Emily Orman, who I think we can assume will go on loan, but is also a, a young goalkeeper who, who we've got around the club. Is this just a case of seeing that there's a young English player, someone who's played three full WSL seasons, I believe. So got a significant number of minutes under her belt, even though she's only 22. That's so important for keepers as well, where it's very hard to get into the first team. Is this just a case of like, if this player is available, you who cares how many goalkeepers you have? You have to move for her. I, I, don't, I don't get... Okay, I understand. Okay, first of all, I understand why they've gone for her because... When someone what do you make of her? What do you make of her as a player? Yeah, maybe that's the best place to start. Yeah, I like Hannah Hampton as a player. I th- I think when I was when I was doing research for the Lionesses book last year, 
I took I took a long look at Hannah Hampton and I, I like the friendlies that she played, especially against Spain, was probably the standout one. And I think she's a really good goalkeeper. I think there's definitely talent there. There's definitely a player there that's really, really good uh, distribution with her feet uh, and otherwise. Um, decent shot stopper could be better there, but, you know, decent, uh, still young. And I think she's athletic enough to, to become, she's got the, the traits and the skills to become a top-class goalkeeper at some point. So I do like her as a player. And I and I and, and by just saying that I understand why Chelsea would have gone for her. But when you've got four goalkeepers in your squad, it's such a it's not like okay, it's not like a fullback position or a striker position where while it is overkill to have four of those um four of those you know players in those four position in those positions. You can still rotate and play them. You can't do that with a goalkeeper. It's not like you can be like, all right, one game, you have one keeper. The next game, you have another keeper. So the momentum and the chemistry between the back line and the keeper themselves just completely goes out the window. So in that sense, I don't get it. I mean, are we just doing a PSG thing where every time there's a keeper, like, all right, we'll just stock keepers and just rotate them in and out, um, though we keep them for a little bit longer? I, I think this is just a case of the opportunity was there, pick her up. And I think to me, this just confirms that for at least two of the keepers that are in the current roster of four, their short to medium term future has probably been decided. I think that Chelsea know that within the next year, at least half those keepers aren't going to be at Chelsea Football Club. And so if we're going to have four, let's pick up this fifth keeper. And then if we do lose the two the way they think they're going to lose the two, at least, then you've got three players there who can eventually come in and they can compete for the number one spot. And then eventually you can then lay your marker down with two of the three. Because if Zichir has got a two-year extension until 2025, Everard's got a four-year contract, I think, and a three-year contract, and Hannah Hampton will come in with probably a two, three-year uh, two, three-year contract. Uh, and if she's going to go on loan next season, that solves your problem for a season. But if she does well at a top club loan which I'm assuming they're going to send her to a top club because if you're at Villa you're already at a top club and she's proven that she can do work there so I'm assuming it's the next step up into maybe a Champions League level club but it's broader here and I think that will just give to us an indication that if she goes to a Champions League level club does well there's a very good chance they really believe in her to become one or two next season and then you've got competition between Musovic, Everard and uh, Iberga and, and Hampton for then Chelsea to decide okay depending on who goes, depending on who's doing well, we have our goalkeeping situation sort of doubled down because I think the world of goalkeepers in in the women's game is, <clears throat> I think there is a, a smaller number of good goalkeepers than there are any other position. And so if Chelsea see the opportunity to, to get four or five good keepers in their, in their stead right now and knowing that they'll probably lose half in a year, I don't see it as a totally bad move, but I just feel like it's a little bit overkill if they don't know for sure whether one of the senior keepers is going in the next year or so. Otherwise, it makes no sense to me. I said a lot of things. I kind of agree with you. I think the position Chelsea have decided they're in is that they have a number one goalkeeper right now, Nan Katrenberger, and they have got three goalkeepers, all of whom they think are good, but none of whom are great. And I think they feel like they can keep hold of those three. And if they feel like they can keep hold of them, then that's 
that's on Chelsea. You know, if they've got the budget, if they feel like they've got the squad space, if the players are happy to go on loan, they want to keep hold of those three and then they want to see which one becomes great, which one becomes an elite keeper. My slight question mark over all three is I don't, I don't feel particularly convinced that any of them will become great. But maybe that's the point. I like, I think assessing goalkeepers is incredibly, incredibly hard, like, first off. But I think Everard, that one I really don't get. Still don't get it. Sorry. Really don't know what, what they what they were seeing there because it wasn't what I was seeing. Musovic, I think, could get there, but feels like quite a long way off. Um... I think we spoke in our goalkeepers and defenders episode. Like, it looks like she might start for Sweden at the World Cup. I think that could be a really interesting test for her. How does she look when she kind of has that pressure of being a number one? We've seen her have this sort of back and forth with AKB, but I don't think it ever feels like she's really replaced AKB. And then you have Hampton, who, listen, everyone loves her distribution. I get it. Her distribution's amazing. But I also think she's not a great shot stopper and I don't think she's got great command of her area and she's 22 years old so maybe that doesn't matter because most goalkeepers you're not even really looking at them realistically until they're like 25 26 or whatever um and to that extent for her to have played as much as I said before is already very impressive um the only thing that I find interesting within that is the way I feel like Emma Hayes teams play and we're talking really long term here. Like in Hannah Hampton, you're talking about a goalkeeper who potentially could be at Chelsea for the next decade. So you're not necessarily talking about someone who's going to be managed by Emma Hayes forever. But the way Emma Hayes plays right now is I think you need a good shot stopper because Chelsea aren't a incredibly possession based team whereby maybe you can have a goalkeeper who fudges some of the, the shot stopping stuff. And because the upside of their distribution is so, so important. Whereas I feel like for Chelsea, that's, we've seen kind of again and again. And I think even Musevich, the idea is that Musevich's distribution is a lot better than AKB's, but we repeatedly return back to AKB because we need a shot stopper because we're not this fantastic possession-based team. And, and that's something that, that's the kind of element where I'm like, it feels like Chelsea are buying goalkeepers for a different mode of play to how they actually play. Do we think then maybe it's a case of what they do on the men's side? It's build up her value to maybe with the view of selling her for profit in a couple of years' time. I know that selling players under contract is not really a thing. A lot of players do the movements at, at the end of their contracts and they kind of go and freeze. You have the exceptions in like Kira Walsh's and stuff who moved around and, and did it that way. So, I mean, I could see that. I, I agree with you. I don't think she's a great shot stopper. And the fact that we keep turning back to AKB every few months whenever there's a lull in the other keeper, it's it's like, okay, well, this keeper's bailing her out. And then we sort of, get, like you said, if you have a keeper that you can get away with the fudgy stop, shot stopping if we were a possession-based team, well, in AKB, we have the opposite. We get away with her fudgy distribution for great shot stopping when it's needed. And I think with, I think with, I think with, with Hannah Hansen, I think you're right in that Emma Hayes won't be managing her forever. But maybe it's a case of if, let's just say if, Emma Hayes were to leave in the next two, two and a half years, right? Let's say she, she's done after two years. like, I'm done. I've, I've done everything I can. We win a Champions League. Life is great. She, she said, I move on. 
there's a very good chance the next coach that comes in wants to play a more possession-based style game, to which then they've got a 24-year-old, 25-year-old Hannah Hampton uh, in their midst. Though I think one more question I want to raise, and, and maybe you can you can kind of maybe elaborate a little bit more, is didn't she have like attitude issues that was linked with the Lionesses? She was dropped for um, Aston Villa when they were playing Chelsea and they said she's at home, but then she was actually sitting in the stands and there was that whole thing over there. Like that attitude thing and... Think that's going to be a problem for us in 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 you know coming into Chelsea and, and how it goes over there. Yeah, I think everything points to the fact that Hannah Hampton is someone who's not unaware that she's quite good at football, um, <laughs> and she has maybe the ego that comes from being a twenty-two-year-old, where that's kind of been been told to you for your whole life and that's obviously why she's had fallings out with Carl Ward she's had fallings out with Serena Wiegmann both of those managers she clearly managed to make amends with because she got back in the Villa team she's going to the World Cup but it does also feel like an unlikely pick given the way Hayes often says you know what she looks for first and foremost is personality now I don't know how true that is because I can certainly reel off a number of Chelsea players who I think in the past have like not had the world's best attitude. So I do think there's a limit. And I think that's also part of like something Hayes likes to talk about. But, you know, football and football management is uh, you're always going to have to weigh that up. Like you can't make a team just of nice people. Um, But equally, I think Hayes is one of Hayes' greatest strengths is her ability to um mold players and and work with different personalities to to make them all fit together as a squad so maybe she feels like that's something she can do with Hampton um it's hard because like I think when all the the Hampton stuff came up with England and Villa you're very loath to be like you don't want to like that's tarnished a player forever because listen everyone's a jerk when they're that age and I can't even imagine like being amazing at football at at that age and like do you know what I mean like everyone does dumb shit and acts out when they're 20 21 and it would be crazy for me like I am 28 if people were like remember when you were horrible when you were like 20 years old so like I yeah I want to think that like maybe the club just feel like this is something that um that they can deal with that they can manage that she's going to grow out of and as I say she obviously made amends but it does again. It's just one another one of those red flags that you don't really want from a player. I think when you're recruiting, I guess something else that's interesting about this, and you you kind of touched on this earlier, is she's open to going out on loan, which great win win. Because I think if you if you told me, oh, you're signing Hannah Hampton, my worry would be like, well, when the fuck she's gonna play? But okay, she wants to go on loan. But as you've said, she's been playing for Villa. They just finished fifth. Where does she go? From from there, if you're going to loan her at a, a level that you think is going to develop her more than if she just stayed at Villa for an extra year, yeah, it's 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 an interesting question because you just let's just brainstorm very quickly. You've got top European sides, Bayern have a number one clearly that they don't need to switch. Wolfsburg probably similar ish though they just sold uh, I can't pronounce her name right now but like the Polish goalkeeper that went back to PSG just now. PSG stock goalkeepers for fun, so that's not an option. Uh, 
there is a second spot available at Lyon because Emma Holgram is left on a free, but you don't want to be playing behind Christine Andler because you're probably not going to get too many games there. Um, Barcelona have Sandra Panos. Again, a problem there. And then they've got Spain's number two and three is is at Barcelona and Catacol. So I mean, they've got they've got another goalkeeper there. Um, Real Madrid have Misa. I mean, if you just look around Europe and just naming off these top, top goalkeepers, where do you find someone that that's up there in a Champions League spot? Like, okay, fine. Maybe you're looking at, at the Italian clubs. You've got Roma, possibly Roma, Juventus, probably the two that are probably going to be in and around the Champions League. Um, you know, if you if you look at, if you look at, I mean, it's, really it's slim picking. So I really don't see where she's going to go. It has to be a top three. I think it just has to be a top three site. I mean, like, like, like even if you were to say like Atletico Madrid, if she were to go, maybe, maybe Spain makes sense, right? Like she speaks Spanish, easy to settle in, can go back there for a season and kind of get a used to that style of play. But Real Madrid, Barcelona don't need it. And Atletico Madrid have Lola Gallardo, unless they think that Lola isn't going to be the one there. Maybe Atletico Madrid is a wild shout here. They're taking her on loan if they want her to compete. Lola isn't young. She's above 30. So there is that option there. But then keep us at their prime. So it's tough. I really don't see... And and I think when they made this move and they convinced her to join and she said she's open for a loan, they must have pitched her clubs and saying, look, we we, we think club one, two, three, four, you know, would be the best fit for you. You know, and we've already, you know, we've had minor, you know, preliminary discussions with Club One and Two. Probably, you think you can go there. I think it'll be in a, a loan abroad. I don't think it'll be one in the WSL because I just don't think any. I mean, City have two keepers. Chelsea obviously have a gazillion keepers. Arsenal definitely not going to get her. Uh, and then every everybody else below there, Aston Villa, she's done. Everybody else below that is not worth it unless. Question just came to my mind: If Mary Ups does leave, would you give her to Man United on loan? No, no, you can't yeah. give, you can't yeah. loan <laughs> your player to a rival. No, yeah. no way. You've got to, you've got to be looking at, yeah, like Everton or someone. If Emily yeah. Ramsey goes back to United, for example. Yeah. But then, so that's probably- and I mean, maybe that's fine because like you can eat, you can equally argue. I mean, I think Aston Villa will probably do well next season, but like, let's be real, that actual clutch of clubs around like fifth to seventh, let's say. Villa, Everton, Liverpool. Like, there's not a huge amount of difference. Yeah. Between those, so so maybe she does go, does go to one of them. Um, my other theory is that uh Hannah Hampton really boasted after that Spain Arnold Cup 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 game that she could understand what the Spanish girls were saying, and that was all part of her master plan. So maybe Emma Hayes is just like I gotta cover every base for Barcelona, and you know, she might hear. <laughs> Alexia Putea say vamos, and that will help us win somehow. Um, I'm I'm really unclear as to how when you're a goalkeeper listening to what strikers say helps you because in almost every other game they're going to be speaking English anyway. So um, it's a pretty niche tactic, but you know this is what they talk about in sports science. You've got to like maximize every single one percent to squeeze it out, and maybe Hannah Hampton speaking Spanish is is the way to go. Um, All right. We will see. I, I suspect that's going to be announced soon. I think that's that's going to be done. Um, so obviously once it's announced, we'll, we'll maybe find out a bit more about what the future plans are. Let's take an ad break here, though. And when we come back, we'll talk about some of that interest in um, robbing everyone's academy. 
So Emma Hayes is bored. That's why she had to sign Hannah Hampton. And she was like, okay, who else can I get? And the club were like, you've got to look at academy players. Otherwise, we don't know how we'll fit them in. So Emma Sanders and Catherine Batt, who we've had on the pod before, been reporting this week on two players in particular. So let's start with the one that I think is almost done. Uh, Chelsea looking at signing the England under 17 captain Brooke Aspin. Aspin has played for, she's a Bristol City player. Um, potentially Chelsea would be loaning her back. She did played a full season in the, the championship last year. She got sepsis this year, so she didn't play as much. Um, very talented, about to turn 18. Um, the other player who Chelsea are interested in but doesn't seem quite as far as long or always like to happen is Kira Barry. She's a Manchester United youth player, also just turned 18. She's been on loan at Derby County. Um, but Chelsea are looking at her along with Everton, Brighton and Bristol City. Abdullah, obviously these are two players who we're not going to pretend we know a shitload about because I don't watch, I haven't watched a huge amount of, of Bristol City and Kira Barry like literally doesn't really play senior football. Um, although I do know she got 26 minutes in the Conti Cup for Man United last season. Uh, but what do you make just more generally, I guess, about this, this interest from Chelsea in um, recruiting academy players and... Obviously, with this Aspen link immediately loaning the back out, we kind of just talked about this with Hannah Hampton. Starting to create a bit of a women's loan army. By my count, there could be potentially 11 players on loan next season. It is very interesting, and I'm not too mad at it. I mean, okay, fine, stockpiling talent isn't really like the most, um, is the best thing to do, but I think, in, in, I think if you are going to try and bring academy players through and let's say that is the future plan and everything then i guess trying to get some of the best ones from the other academies and kind of almost i think that i mean to me now this this you know we talk about the one club model right we've seen it in barcelona we've seen it that probably the best example of it and, and i think manchester city are are kind of up there I think I think we're getting there now. I think I think if you look at the way the men's team has been run, we're using the academy, and obviously we've had Mason now, Therese James, and Andreas Christensen, and these these players and like come through the academy in the last few years and really make an impact on the first team. I, I think these sort of signings is maybe pointing towards the fact that maybe Chelsea wants to now not just buy top talent, but if we can fill our academy with top talented players, you become the go-to place for younger kids to say okay we want to join Chelsea's academy you get better quality competition going on between them at youth level and you're inevitably going to have at least a bunch a handful of players who are going to come through and really be able to make an impact on the first team and then that suddenly saves you a bunch of money in the transfer market now I know that right now the transfer transfer fee competition fees is is very small in the grand scheme of things yes i mean four hundred thousand approximately for kira walsh to barcelona was obviously a record again the 350 that we paid 300 we paid for penny the heart it was a world record at some point as well but i really do believe in like five six years time that number could shift to a million euros or a million pounds very easily and very quickly and we'll look back at these fees and go that was nothing and so the minute things start getting more and more expensive clubs are going to start tightening the, the shoestrings because they're going to say, ooh, you know, we're running a men's team, running a women's team. The women's team is now going into the millions. How do we how do we manage this? 
we're going to have to start going to the academy. And I think this is a long-term move from Chelsea to be able to bring in as many good players in the academy as possible, develop them in, in on loans and, and under the under-18s and playing uh, training with the first team, and then kind of just picking out the best ones and seeing where they can implement them in, in, in a few years' time. Because let's say, you know, we talk about Brooke Aspen, who's probably, um, you know, a centre-back. She's 18. Millie Bright isn't going to be playing forever. Marimiel is going to leave very, very soon. You know, Kadisha Buchanan is not going to be there forever. So let's say in five years' time, one of those two, Millie Bright or Kadisha Buchanan, leaves or they retire. And if Brooke Aspen is good enough, being the under-17s captain and being a right centre-back, you may have a potential ready-made replacement right there in your academy who's been playing, you know, good loan football, good spells, and makes that development forward. And suddenly you're not paying anything. You're just literally plucking her from the youth team, the academy team, to the first team. So I can kind of see the vision going, but I think it's that balancing act of can you get it right? Can you pick the right players? And can you give them good loans? Micah Hamano is the perfect example of a great loan. Doing so well, people calling for her to come back into the squad now, probably think she needs another loan in, in, in England just to kind of acclimatize over there. But you see, if you can get that development right, you've got a player there that can like probably replace like a Frank Kirby or something in like three years, two years. If we can do the same thing for a few more of these players, I can I can definitely see a pathway up there because Hamano could definitely be like a Frank Kirby replacement, in like two years with the, with the way with the way things are going. So I can see the plan. Yeah, definitely. I I I agree. I think Hamano is the perfect example of how you do it well. I think what's hard is like you never really know how players are going to adapt. That's why I guess the Aspen thing is interesting in terms of sending her straight back to Bristol City. Look, Bristol City been promoted. She's going to get a year of WSL football. I think the only thing that I find not strange, but, you know, I think Emma Hayes rightly made a set of comments where she was basically like, it's hard for academy players to make it in a team like Chelsea because the jump is so big. And we are going to do an episode this week, or I think coming out next week, about um, how our lone players did this season and, and where we think their futures lie. But I don't think any of them really performed in a way where you were like yes this is a player who can start for Chelsea I think there were signs that maybe one of them could be a squad player for Chelsea I think you know maybe if Georgia Fox hadn't done her ACL that would have been a different conversation as well but it's it's hard to take that step up even if you've had like a fairly successful loan at a middling WSL club and my concern is, and listen, I think, I don't know if this is a real concern or maybe I just feel like it's a talk, interesting talking point because I think players will always want to come and play for Chelsea because we're one of the best teams and some players will always back themselves to do it. And I think they're the players whose attitudes you want, right? Players who are going to say like, yeah, fuck it. I, I don't, not everyone makes it, but I believe I could be the player who did. But I guess you've got all these players who are keen to sign right now. But when they look at, say, if if Aggie Beaver-Jones doesn't get her chance next year, if, you know, in two or three t- years' time, none of these players have really come through, the, the rest of the players who are sort of in the, the loan group at the moment, is that a risk for, for persuading young talent to, to sign in the future? And, and how do you think the club deals with that? Yeah, it's a tough one because... If you can't show a pathway to players and you're just stockpiling, stockpiling, stockpiling and then kind of building this this academy without really that that 
that pathway through, then it becomes tougher because then the first question everyone's going to ask is, you've got a great academy, everything works, uh, facilities are there, but do I have a chance to ever play for Chelsea Football Club more than just the odd like cameo appearance that you know, like Ashanti Akpan and, and Claypool and all these players have received so far, which is great at that age just to get a taste. But um, it's definitely one that 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 does raise a few questions in terms of what can they do. Like you said, I think I think I think Georgia Fox would have probably gotten the squad role, especially now where we're really lacking a, a natural left back there. With probably also going probably going to go out alone this season, um, I would assume that you know Georgia would have been the perfect fit in that role. And and, and you know what, I I actually think they might have pushed for an Elsu loan. Uh, if if Georgia was fit last season, obviously she did it and she was on loan, but maybe they would have called her back and, and kind of done something there and played around with it. Um, anyway, because you look at Aggie Beaver-Jones, like she did really well for Everton. I think it was, it was one of the top performing uh, youngsters in, in the country, but at the moment it doesn't look like there's a position for her right now with, with the way with the way the, the, the structure of the, of the forward line is. So I think unless and until, and I think it takes maybe one, um, Unless one of these players, Georgia, Aggie, uh, even Micah, any one of these players comes in, shows that what a good loan can do and gets a chance in the first team, I do feel like that could probably then you know, alleviate some of the fears of players going, okay, there's no chance. Because now they can say, okay, we potentially have a chance. It's hard. This is Chelsea Football Club. There are top players that they're going to sign. But... There is a chance if you can prove yourself on loan and as you go up, you can do that, um, that, that there is a chance to play and there's a chance to, to, to become a regular regular starter because you, you never know who you got in your hands. And, you know, one you're one injury away from probably playing uh, 15 games, 10 games in a season and suddenly you're, uh, you're right up there impressing the coach and, and you're, in, you're in the frame for, you know, the squad for the following season. There's one other facet of this which I think is interesting and I'd like us to talk about before before we move on. This was something Tom Gary was reporting yesterday that they're ending the loophole within the women's game whereby academy players can move without compensation when they when they turn 18. So you can't sign a professional contract until you turn 18. Um, so academy players like Evie Rabdron did it this year. Um, she could just go and sign for another club and Villa, even though she came through her academy, didn't get any money for it. So Rabdron went to United. So equally, like Aspen, if she came to Chelsea, it wouldn't matter that she'd been at Bristol, that she'd played for them for the past two seasons, that she's been in their academy. We could get her for free. Um, they're proposing that WSL clubs will receive up to £5,000 per year for every year the player has been playing for that academy if an uncontracted youth player is taken by another team in the Professional Game Academy. The Professional Game Academy is basically, I think, 20 of the 24 clubs in the WSL and Championship qualified for that. Um, it just basically means you've got a good academy. There's, I guess, a potential that Chelsea are looking at this and are like, we want to get some business done before we have to pay money. But given that it was reported in the Hannah Hampton thing that we were going to give Aston Villa some money, even though we didn't need to, because she's just a grown-up and didn't come through Villa's academy at all. I can't imagine Chelsea would be that fussed about paying £5,000 per year uh, for some of these players. But I guess, Abdullah, maybe this speaks to, to your point about fees and being able to sell players and being able to to generate income like that. What we're seeing is 
the increased financialization in the women's game of players and that feels like maybe there's not a direct connection here but it's an interesting thing to think about as part of like Chelsea making these moves yeah and I think I think obviously they're more privy to to, to probably the directors in, in the FA and everyone you know club directly having meetings with them and kind of understanding what the future of the game looks like from a business and financial perspective because I think I think with with clubs it's very much about not just the squad management and what's on the pitch, but how is the business and the game changing off the pitch? And, and look, football clubs are in it to make some money as well. It's it's definitely not not, not you can't it's not a far fetched thing to say that. And I think Chelsea going this route and, and and I think what helps them is because we've seen football in the men's game probably right now that like a few good few years ahead of us, five to ten years I would even say that they can almost predict how the women's game is going to go and how it's going to flow. So you look at the way academies are run and there's compensation. And, you know, sometimes depending on how good a player is, you can, you have, you can, you can get compensation 350, 400,000 pounds in the men's game for, for, for academy players. And I'm not, and maybe the equivalent at a, at a slightly lower scale might be like you said, the 5,000 pounds a year they've been playing. And like, imagine that for a lower, a low to mid tier championship club or a low tier WSL club to just be able to at least get some competition, some in in money coming in, like, and it's that that means that they don't have to overly rely on league money based on the position and player sales purely with transfer fees to be able to make something. Like, there's rumors of Katie Robinson moving on from Brighton. There's a there's a bid up from Manchester United, I think it was today, but they want significant money and. Yes, obviously they have the right to do it, but those are very uncommon moves to, to be able to move while they're on the contract. And in this case, where it's a bit more normal and common for these academy kids to move around, it then just makes sense to be able to do that. And if Chelsea can, and Chelsea are a club that can afford to pay five thousand, even if they she played for let's say, um, you know, she plays for uh, um, Aspen plays for Bristol City, let's say for three or three has played for three years, fifteen thousand pounds for Chelsea football club is pocket change let's be absolutely honest here but for someone like bristol it's great extra income it's 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 significant money to an extent that it kind of you know helps pay some wages staff and, and whatever and that's just you know from 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 instead of losing a player on a free to getting paid for it so i think things like that for chelsea in the long run they can be like well we ended up paying fifteen thousand pounds investment yes but we've got our starting center back for the next 10 years so I think I think they can see the future, and 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 if, if an academy players is the way to go, and if that's going to eventually become a money maker in three four years down the line, then Chelsea starting early and just really bringing in the talent that they could probably either use themselves or eventually sell to 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 make money. Yeah, it definitely feels like Chelsea are just kind of trying to get ahead of the way the market is moving, which makes a lot of sense to me. All right, let's take another ad break here, and when we come back, we will talk about how no one wants to play for Manchester United anymore. So, Abdullah, this wasn't a surprise, but we did get kind of confirmation over the past week that Alessia Russo and Honor Bache are leaving Manchester United on the expiry of their contracts. Honor has already been announced uh, back at Barcelona. There's a couple of strands to this that I want to talk through. There's the footballing element, but I want to start by talking about the kind of disorganisation around United's front office that's been reported both contract offers for Rousseau and Batia 
apparently matched other offers that came in from other clubs. So, for example, Barcelona are not paying on Abatier significantly more money, if any more money, than what United were offering her. It's just that United were too disorganised to supposedly get these offers in. Um, who knows exactly what is true in all of that, but I think the fact that these stories has come around two separate players is pretty damning on United. Leaving the football element of this aside for now, because we'll talk about that in a second, what do you make of this kind of organisation from United? Because we've seen them, they've found this football, founded this football team after not having one, they made pretty quick progress to get to the top, realistically. Um, and now it feels like they've got to the top, but they haven't got a, a structure in place to allow them to compete. Does that surprise you, given that this isn't a club that has no background in doing deals before? They are still part of Manchester United. And OK, maybe we can joke that Manchester United aren't very good at de doing deals um, on the men's side either. But... Um, has this taken you by surprise? A little bit. I think it's a little bit. I think I think when it came to, to Russo and um and Onabachi, I think I think Bachi was pretty much I don't think anybody caught that anybody caught was anybody was caught out by surprise with that one. I think we all knew from kind of the very beginning, probably except for after the first year that Barcelona were gonna come calling and it was kind of an open secret that she loved Barcelona and she wanted to go there and it's just that they weren't ready to take her. And they essentially told her, Look, just wait. We will come back for you and we will we will take you. It's just a matter of um when and we have the planning. And you look at someone like Barcelona, like they 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 have Marta Torrejon who was moving on. They needed a transition player between getting on a on a free and not having to pay, which they tried to, but they couldn't agree a fee. They ended up getting Lucy Bronze on a two-year contract, bring her in for a season. Marta Torrejon is likely to move on the season with Onabache now being announced. They get her on a free, and then you probably then have Onabache and Lucy Bronze as your two right-backs. I mean, if you're looking at planning in terms of transitioning from an older player into the new generation younger player, and you have an experienced backup player who could still do a really good job for you with a year left to then go and find a replacement backup player... I mean, that's pretty good planning from Barcelona from that perspective. But on the other hand, um, I, I guess United to an extent did some work when they got Jade Riviere, which I'm not going to lie, when we were talking about it on WhatsApp, I completely forgot that they signed her. I was like, oh yeah, they did. Like, And then she, she didn't play too much. But I mean, Canadian International joins in January. And I, I guess, you know, it's just acclimatizing. But then when it comes to like Alessia Russo, I think there was a real sense that she would have stayed depending on how well they did. And they did well. I mean, United ended up coming second. They just lost the title in the last couple of weeks and nobody was expecting to do that. When you have, when you do that and you see Ella Toon signing an, an extension and you go, okay, fine, fair enough. It, it's like, all right, if, if Toon signed it, they're doing really, really well. Uh, a lot of the players seem happy. They 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 did buy a couple of players in, in January just to kind of, you know, back up what they were trying to do. Then, and you have players like Maya Letizia who came in and did really, really well. There is an upward trajectory that looks like the Man United are going on. But then with with her going and the way they're kind of conducting their business right now, it seems very, very much like there's like Mark Skinner has an idea of what he wants to do, but the hierarchy or, you know, want to do something else. And 
I don't know if I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Is that is there a separate team in the United's hierarchy that are doing the women's transfers and the men's transfers, or is it basically like the same? Because if it's the same, then there's very much a focus on the men's, but even then, they're just not being able to close deals properly. And and it kind of then kind of comes all crashing down. Um, and I mean, to an extent, I'm mean, just to give another example. They got Asisuto Tsongkara last year from Atletico Madrid. Don't even think she spent more than a couple of hundred minutes playing. And that's a starting centre-back for France and for Atletico Madrid at the time. And she's essentially wasted a year when there were so many moments she could have played. So that was like poor planning. You could have used the money to either invest in another forward or something else along those lines. Um you know, and it's just things like that to me. Just it confuses me. Estelle Cascarino, another one they buy, a French international from PSG. Fine, didn't play much there, but brought her in as like this backup fullback, centre back. Again, barely plays. But then why did you pick up two French internationals if you weren't going to play them? And you kind of went along with the other squad. And I understand injuries and rotations maybe didn't happen as much, but you you brought them in. They're they're senior players. You you've got to play them. So I feel like there's a little bit of like inconsistent planning there where in some cases they may have done well but in other cases it just made no sense you know so I, I don't know what you think yeah I think that point on on recruitment is it, clear that there's been a bit of a disconnect potentially on what the club have wanted to recruit and who Skinner's actually wanted uh Tupacara played five WSL minutes if in case you were interested oh, um God. but I think on these what's really bizarre is like okay it can happen that a player comes in and you maybe think you're going to need them as backup and then it actually happens that you don't need them. Like, maybe they didn't know when Eva Mannion was going to come back because she's the player who got used a lot more as that third centre-back towards the end of the season, etc. What's more bizarre is I'm like, well, clearly Batia and Russo were, like, the two best players at the club, so that's why I don't understand how you can really so badly fuck up the negotiations because I feel like the least you can do is just put as much money on the table as you possibly can. Given the players they've lost, Abdullah, where do you think that leaves United for next season? Do Is this a team who, who are going to be in the title race? Because um, I guess part of the other thing that surprised me, okay, yeah, I, Riviere, obviously, she joined injured, but she's clearly very good, and they obviously think she's going to be Batia's backup. But we've not had really any strong links for players to replace Rousseau, and it kind of feels like they were holding on for so long, even though everyone else in the world knew Rousseau was going to go. They've almost got nothing lined up there, and that feels like a massive disadvantage as you know we head into a season where there's not necessarily going to be much time between the World Cup ending and sort of pre-season and okay because United came second the Champions League qualifies a bit later like they're not like a they're not in an Arsenal situation but do you think they're going to be able to to overcome this or are we going to see them maybe being caught up by the likes of Villa? Yeah, I guess the saving grace for them is the fact that it's still the beginning of the window and there's still a month left before the World Cup starts so if there's any time that they can do it it's now and, and they can they can they can start looking for um they can start looking for replacements. But I, I agree with you in the sense that there was like zero links with anybody major in terms of who they could go and sign. And it's it's like, unless they've done like a masterstroke transfer move where they've kept it so under wraps that not even the player themselves knows that they're going to move to United and, and, and sign for them in the next few days. Um, really don't see how... I really don't see how... Um, how they go ahead and do this quickly. And... 
maybe uh, it's probably not the smartest strategy, but maybe it's let's just let's have a couple of targets to see how they play at the World Cup. If they impress along with what we've already scouted them, maybe it's a time to look, or maybe they've got they've got verbal agreements set with players. But at the moment, I really don't see how and where they go and 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 get them. And whoever comes in is probably going to want some assurances in terms of what the plan is because. You look at that forward line, right? Let's just take the forwards for example. They've got, um, they've got Martha Thomas, Ivana Fuso will probably go back out on loan. Lucia Garcia, Adriana Leon's gone on loan. Will probably come back. Nikita Paris and Rachel Williams. Now with Rachel Williams and Martha Thomas, you got two strikers there. What's their future like? Because the, whoever's going to come in is going to be like, I'm probably better than two of them. But what's the plan? There's two other strikers there. What's the plan around me? You got Nikita Paris, great, but is there any and Lucia Garcia, but what's the back of I mean, There'll be questions around the squad for the players coming in, and they're like, what's the plan? Because if you want me to come in, and let's say you're a top caliber player, because you've got to be someone decent to replace Russo and 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 her and her output for United and link up with like an Elatoon and stuff. But I guess they'll also ask, what's the plan? Like, who are you recruiting? I feel like you know, maybe we're a little bit light here. Like, I, because, you know, a player obviously wants to play, but at some point you don't want to be stranded and being like, I have to play injured because I basically there's nobody else there or there's nobody else of requisite quality. And if there's nobody else of requisite quality, can we compete for titles? Yes, we did it, but you've now lost two of your best players over the summer who helped you get to that second place position, right? And they've got a Champions League now to contend with. Obviously, they go to qualifying first, but like, let's assume they qualify and they go through the group stages, you're going to come against some top, top sides. And you're going to need quality players. And those quality players are going to need reassurances and they're going to have to see a vision in the path. So and if, the, if Skinner and the board are not aligned in terms of the vision, the future of the squad and where they want to go, I find it very hard for them to be able to bring in someone who's going to be good enough and also someone that, that will you know want to come in and, and, and really make an impact quickly. Let's just finish off by talking about where Rousseau might be going. It does look like Arsenal are the favourites, although there are still links to the Washington spirit, but it feels like Arsenal are very, very heavy, heavy favourites. I guess similar question to, to the United one, but what impact do you think that, that will have on, on Arsenal next season? Do you think that's a signing which will really allow them to to challenge us. I feel like last year was obviously a hard read on them because they had so many injuries. Um, but do you think this signing significantly elevates them if she does go there? After everything I just said about Russo United and her being one of the best players, I don't think it actually significantly improves Arsenal's output necessarily. Let's say Russo's goal tally at United, while I don't have it on hand, wasn't particularly high. I mean, it wasn't like she was scoring 15, 20 goals in the WSL and then they're losing 20 goals in the year. She could touch something that she could add. You know, Arsenal's problem is obviously scoring goals. What they will probably improve on is maybe their, their her back-to-goal play is pretty good, running between the channels, link-up play with midfield and kind of the players around her. You know, she obviously forged a very, very good partnership with uh, with with Ella, with Ella Toon. And probably there's a chance now to kind of come in and... and maybe forge that sort of partnership with like a Viviana Miedemab who has to come back to Arsenal as well, you know, from her injury. Um, weirdly enough, I only found out a week ago that Viviana Miedemab is hanging around in Dubai doing stuff here and I didn't know, so I can't even go and find her from somewhere and just be like, hello. Um, so that's, that's another thing. But there, and then there's Frida Manum, Jupilova. So I think 
What I like about Russo at Arsenal is that she probably fits the mold of players that they have over there, maybe a little bit better than she did at United, just because everyone's used to playing with maybe a little bit more of a um, a bigger striker like um, you know uh, like a Viviana Miedema and, and such. But and obviously Beth Mead has to come back as well. And I think just kind of being able to, to to fit with them, I think from a stylistic point of view, it works. And I think that will have an effect. And maybe to, rather than her scoring goals, it unlocks Beth Mead a little bit more. She's played with her for England and Viviana Miedema and Palova and Kim Little and, and, and Monum. But from a pure output perspective herself, I don't see it making that much of a difference. And and, and obviously with Stina Blacksenia still there, obviously we don't know what's happening with her. It kind of then becomes a question mark of, are you going to keep all three strikers? Obviously, Miedema places more of a 10. But are you going to keep them there? Elena Hertig's around still. How do you manage that situation? Someone's got to give way. So I think from an output perspective, I don't think it'll be much of an effect. But I think more from a stylistic perspective, I think she does fit maybe a little bit better at Arsenal for me. All right. Definitely one to keep an eye on there on where Russo ends up and how that might affect the rest of the business that Arsenal are looking to do this summer. That wraps us up for today. Thank you for joining me, Abdullah, as usual. Um, we will be back with you next week. Um, we're going to get James Lewis on to have a little bit of a chat about some of our youngsters. Um, so we'll be talking about George Fox, Aggie Jones, Charlotte Wardlaw, maybe a little look at Anik Nowen as well. Um, so look forward to all that good stuff. Until then, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>